Have you ever wondered what your last words might be to your loved ones? In Genesis 49, the Holy Spirit uses Jacob to give us one of the fullest accounts of a saint ready to pass from this scene of time. For the Lord is our defense, yes, who defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, who defend For the Lord is our defense, yes, who defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, who defend In a book filled with the record of many deaths, this is a remarkable scene designed to afford great instruction to Moses and those that left Egypt with him. The early record of this family is littered with sin and its devastating consequences, so much so we might assume it would splinter the family entirely. And yet despite this and a devastating famine, everyone is in Egypt and they're all gathered together around their dying father. And it is right here that Jacob experiences perhaps his most prophetic moment at the close of his life. Jacob's eyes were dim, we might say, but the eye of faith was brighter than ever. Now, I can't give time to explain how Jacob rightly prophesied over each tribe, each of his sons, but I will reflect on what stands out. As you read over the opening 27 verses, it begins with Reuben, who learns that there are consequences for not being a faithful firstborn. Now, he ought to have learned from those who went before him, like Cain, Ishmael, Esau, but he didn't. Simeon and Levi are viewed as men of cruelty because of their act on Shechem. However, God would turn Levi's scattering, if you note the word there, he's going to turn that for good, appointing him to function in ministry to Israel. Now, with such a beginning, we might well wonder if <laughs> the hope of God's covenant promises depends on people like this. Is there, is there a future at all? But we, we immediately see that grace intervenes because in Judah, even though he had children to a Canaanite, he wronged Tamar, advocated for the sale of Joseph, which was to become a capital crime in Israel. Yet God has an immutable purpose. Judah is marked with multiple blessings. And if you note the language, you see praise, power, preeminence, and prosperity. Jacob then moves on to Zebulun, who would settle with its eastern border being the Sea of Galilee, and western border being the Mediterranean Sea. Then we have Issachar, who shows strength, but also the kind of complacency which leads to servitude. Dan is described as a serpent, which makes us think of Satan, to be quite frank. Now, the record of Dan is not encouraging and seems to support that view. For example, in Judges 18, Dan establishes a center of false religion and idolatry. When the nation is divided and Jeroboam comes to the throne, he supplants Jerusalem as a place of worship by constructing two centers of worship, and they both have the worship of golden calves, and, and one of these is in Dan. When the tribes are listed in Revelation 7, Dan's not mentioned. So Dan's future is bleak and seems to cause Jacob to cry out in verse 18, quote, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. From there, Jacob makes brief statements concerning Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. Then comes Joseph. Now, if Judah is largely pointing to the future, Joseph largely reveals what God has fulfilled already in his, his mercy. And what marks Joseph is that even though he suffered, he was fruitful. Even though men tried to destroy him, God upheld him. Finally, there's a word to Benjamin, who will raven as a wolf. That is to say, he will tear to pieces and 
is depicted, it would seem, as a successful warrior. And so from verse 28 through 33, the chapter closes with Jacob doing two things before his passing, blessing his sons and commanding his sons. However negative the prophecies, they are all blessed. None of them have been rejected as Esau was. So Jacob then requires of them that they bury him with Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah and Leah. And then he lifts his feet into his bed and he passes away. And so we come to application. One, warnings from God are designed to provoke an obedient response. Much that Jacob declares to his sons is negative. But negative truth is better than positive lies, and it serves a purpose. Now, rather than responding in a fatalistic way, saying, well, there's, there's nothing that can be done, each of the children needed to respond in repentance and seek by God's grace to be recovered. They needed to be as the Ninevites, who didn't simply accept Jonah's message of coming judgment, but they turned from their sins to God and they found mercy. Now, you may feel like your past and your character has charted for you an unchangeable course. But that's not so. Nothing is impossible with God. And he loves to write unpredictable endings to unhappy beginnings. But while God will withhold the worst of judgments from his people, he does not always withhold consequences. If you read 2 Samuel 12, you'll see that although David is spared death for his sin, his child is not. Now, these truths are to sober the people of God. God is not to be trifled with. The world is meant to see this in us. His judgments are real. His mercy must be sought. These are the things we must reflect to a perishing world. Two, children may differ greatly from their parents. The variety of characteristics on display in this chapter ought to be instructive. It's not uncommon for us to ask <laughs> where, where certain traits in our children come from. And, and while we have a responsibility to put a good example before them, there's no promise that they will be like us either in our graces or in our sins. It's very true that pride can wrongfully run to our personal defense. At the same time, Satan may also wrongfully charge us with guilt where there is little or no warrant. So if your children are wayward, be careful that you... Don't contribute more blame to yourself than is fitting. We have enough guilt to deal with due to legitimate sins without multiplying it. So I just speak a word of caution to you. Three, instability is the destroyer of potential. The description of Reuben stands as one of the strongest warnings of this chapter, given that he's the firstborn as well. We've seen glimpses of his attempt to be honorable, such as hindering his brothers in their desire to kill Joseph, and also his willingness to give his two sons for Benjamin. And yet he sacrificed his privileges for a moment of pleasure. The words, quote, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, could be written over many a man who has failed to finish college degrees, hold down a job, or see a marriage through to death. And we must ask God for the grace to suppress our wicked impulses because this is what it's about. For Reuben, it was lust. For Simeon and Levi, it was anger. Basically, instability in one area can destroy warriors. If you know your weakness, do not let sleeping dogs lie. By God's grace, kill it. Four, parents must love God more 
than their children. Jacob's language in verse 6 is one that parents ought to take to heart. His love for God meant that he feared any association with the wickedness of his sons, and he strongly detests what they did because it did not reflect the character of God's people. Now, parents, it is not a matter of if, but when your children will be used to test your love for God. Draw a line under it, make a note of it. And at such points, you might believe you're helping them through repeated concessions and lack of pushback, just giving them space and room. I get it, but in most cases, you're not helping. When our children sin, when they turn against God, they need to know we don't support them. Like Jacob in verse 18, you may have to turn from the disappointment of a child and rest in the one who never disappoints his people. Five, believers are marked by blessing and obedience. As we noted, Jacob's closing responsibility is to bless and command his sons. Is this not a picture of how our Heavenly Father deals with us? Does he not bless us with the gospel and then command us to respond appropriately? Young person, understand this. Though you stand complete in Christ, fully justified through our Savior's merits, do not live without a sense of indebtedness to God. There ought to be an awareness of the privilege of obeying our Father in heaven and seeking to exhibit His goodness, His love, and His mercy to a perishing world. And finally, Christ will gather the nations to himself. There are some challenges to interpreting parts of this poetic prophecy, but let us not miss the hope of verse 10, that in Jesus, who came from the tribe of Judah, we find the central figure of the world. Having learned of him in Genesis 3.15, we now see that the fallen sons of Adam from every nation must make their way to the offspring of Judah. Now that the lion of the tribe of Judah has been victorious over death and hell, the question is, have you fallen before his feet? Don't delay. Do so now. And may God bless you with a sense of assurance that he is able to save to the uttermost. <laughs>